So a guy walks into a bar and says, hey, I want to master myself. And I guess that means mastering my emotional life. That means I can't be in contention with what I feel, but in collaboration. The bartender looks at him and says, well, what does he say? This is Stefan Ravalli telling you that this is it. Everything you need is available to you right here, right now. All the skills, insight, joy, fluidity, wisdom, growth, inspiration. All depends on your relationship to what you do and to yourself. You see, I've realized after over like a decade in hospitality and then also teaching meditation and mindfulness, the grit and grime of service life, like waiting tables in a restaurant, that's where everything I've cultivated gets actioned and tested. That's where you can learn everything you need to know about mastering yourself. Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast. Let's talk about how this all works. Hey there. Hey there, everyone. How you feeling today? Ooh, heavy question, huh? We don't really get the training in our culture to answer questions like that. Honestly and truly, right? How are you feeling? We might talk about some pain in our body that might describe how we're feeling. Everyone's favorite dodge around that question is, I'm tired. That's supposed to sum up how they feel. There's a lot more going on inside of you than that. That is for sure. It's not generally too fashionable to spend our time mucking around in the realms of emotion. My training is certainly of that sensibility, being a meditation and yogic philosophy. We're supposed to consider ourselves above our emotions, beyond our emotions, which I guess is true. But to maintain that idea as a way of ejecting yourself from responsibility for living with your emotions, um, facing them, understanding them, that I think is potentially a major problem and suggests that you don't have the power over them that you claim to if you need to keep retreating to this idea that uh, they don't define you. Rather than saying... Wow, these are really powerful forces within me. That can be a very useful source of information. The only problem is our relationship to the undesirable ones. And actually, in our emotional vocabulary, there are a lot more undesirable ones than desirable ones. And we probably spend more of our time juggling at least one or some combination of undesirable emotions than fully being in a state of desirable ones. So we best understand them. Because it's really not about the fact that you're having an undesirable emotion that is the problem. It's the fact that your relationship to it is faulty. So the quality of your day depends on not what cocktail of emotions you're experiencing from moment to moment, but your relationship to those emotions, and how much you're collaborating with them, working with the highest form of each such that they are valuable to you. So, like, are you active in the process of feeling, or are you just getting passively knocked around by everything and reacting to how you're feeling and just wishing you were feeling better somehow? The key to feeling better is to feel bad in an empowered way. That's why Carla McLaren's work interests me, her dynamic emotional integration system, which has relevance to anyone, especially those 
that don't think that they're particularly emotional or particularly emotionally sensitive, so you're not able to perhaps understand or interface with the emotions of others, you're not too empathic, perhaps, or compassionate, you will be surprised. <laughs> You'll be surprised because we're all hardwired for this. You just need to tap back into your innate emotional powers. So firstly, if you don't think you're emotional, then ask yourself how often you got angry in the last few days. And if you think that you're the less emotional member of your partnership, I think that I probably get angry more often than my wife gets like emotional in that way that many would think to be like girly, like crying or whatnot. So turns out I'm really emotional. It's just probably more one particular note of emotions. But this actually isn't true once you look more deeply in yourself. There's a whole array of emotions happening in every moment. And if you think that you are totally in your head and unable to read the emotions of others, you just need to, firstly, understand your own emotions, look within, and begin to navigate that properly, and open your eyes and pay attention to what's happening in the moment. A whole play of emotions, crashing into each other like waves on the shore. <laughs> so I work in hospitality, which uh, Carla McLaren refers to as emotion work, meaning it is a kind of work or labor where you are trading in emotions, which basically means that how you make someone else feel is really the name of the game. Also, how you yourself are feeling and presenting your emotional state to the world is a massive factor in your sense of professionalism. Because during the day, you're going to be feeling all kinds of things. But what you express often has to be much different from whatever evil incantations your mind is churning because, you know, uh, something upset you or frustrated you. So you have to know your own emotions and you have to be able to read the emotions of others. I mean, think about any, like, quote-unquote slick or rock star server uh, who everyone loves. They're really good at understanding how other people are feeling. And some, which might not always be ethical, are really good at manipulating uh, how the people they're serving are feeling. You know, it's the classic grifty salesman archetype. And if you don't want to be this kind of person because they sound terrible, then good, don't be. <laughs> but have that same ability to read the wind and know how the people in front of you are feeling. Or, at least, care to find out. You know, not everyone is like a Jedi with this stuff. But you can care to know. And you can care how other people are feeling. And you can care how you yourself are feeling. And that is a very vital first step to true awareness. This is a learned skill. It is an art of paying attention, and that's it. Think about, like, tasting wine. In the beginning, it all just tastes like wine, right? What happens? You start paying attention to the different flavors and watching them interact with each other and your sensory system as you taste more and more. And then eventually you get a sense of things. You become aware of subtlety. And you might have gone into it thinking, oh, I'm not a super taster, therefore I'm limited. But super tasters don't necessarily know how to navigate flavor. They just taste. They just get hit 
with sensory information and sometimes bowled over, like emotionally sensitive people, uh, as we discussed in the last episode. It's just kind of like if you're hearing music and it's just really, really loud, that doesn't mean that you understand the music. Hearing it really loudly doesn't give you a read on structure and composition. That is your own attentiveness and practice in listening. And eventually you start appreciating things you didn't originally appreciate. Just like the more people taste wine, the more they appreciate ones that are more challenging, rather than just candy-tasting fruit bombs, right? Same with emotions. As soon as you start paying attention to them and appreciating their value, the ones that you thought were undesirable then suddenly become your ally. Okay, on I chatter because, yeah, we teach what we most have to learn. <laughs> this is fascinating terrain for me because I'm still just figuring it out. And hopefully so are you and so is anyone because it's a lifelong journey understanding uh, and working with our emotions. Okay, my guest today is Sherry Olander. She is a DEI consultant and trains all of the new teachers coming out of that system. She will speak about all of this with far more expertise than I will. She consults people uh, online and in person from her office in Charlottesville, Virginia, and helps people cultivate this kind of relationship that I've been talking about, a masterful relationship to your particular emotional landscape, and helps dial you into what is called empathic mindfulness, your innate ability to tune into and mindfully meet the emotional landscape of the moment. She specializes particularly in grief, daily rituals, and elemental balance. We talk about all of that in our discussion to follow. I really look forward to all that you learn from it. All right, here it is, Sherry Olander and me. All right. Sherry is a founder and director of Quintessence Living, which has a lot of holistic uh, healing offerings, anywhere from massage therapy to uh, dynamic emotional integration consultation, which has particular relevance to any service-oriented profession and actually any avenue of life uh, that involves emotions, which I imagine is everywhere because we're always feeling them and always getting knocked around by them and always feeling like we need to somehow get the hang of them. And so that's what we're going to talk about mainly today. Uh, but first, uh, Sherry, uh, tell me about your work and um, how you arrived at doing uh, what you do and, and all the things you offer now in your mission. Sure. Thank you. Um, so in terms of dynamic emotional integration, I originally came to this work. Um, I suppose the first thing was I was driving home. I had a long commute. Um, I think it was actually when I was bartending at the time, which is relevant to um, a lot of your audience. And um, I had a long commute. So I was driving late at night often. And um, I heard a, I guess it was a replay at that hour, but um, I heard an interview and I think it was on Fresh Air. Um, this was years ago now with Carla McLaren. Mm. And she was talk. I was intrigued because she was telling a story about how um, she had this intuitive sense of what animals needed uh, when she was younger. And uh, as I listened to the conversation, she was talking about emotions and empathy and how she has developed this way of working with emotions and empathy that is very different and has been really helpful for her um, and for many other people. And um, 
the book that they referenced at the time was Language of Emotions, mm-hmm. um, which came out, I think, 2010. So, of course, I came home, immediately, you know, ran inside, turned the radio on, or went to go turn the radio on. It turns out my um, housemate was also listening to the show inside, coincidentally. <laughs> and um, I was so excited about what she was talking about that I went and got the book and read it and then proceeded to buy multiple copies of the books because every time I met somebody who I thought could um, benefit from it, I would just give them the book. And, and so I ended up, I think, buying five copies of this book and just giving them all away. Um, and I, I would repeatedly say that my mind was blown as I read all the different sections on each emotion and it all just made so much sense. And in a way that was the reason that it was so outstanding is because it was the first time I'd heard emotions talked about in this way, but it made so much sense. So it just begged the question, why aren't we taught this? Why isn't this common knowledge? Like why don't they teach us in schools or, you know, um, that kind of thing. So um, I joined up for her mailing list and um, a couple of years later, she started offering a licensing program so people could be trained to teach her work, which I had kind of started to try to do on my own anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because I, like I said, it just made so much of a difference in my life that I wanted to share it with others. Um, and so I, I signed up for the licensing program right away and it's about a 13 month program. And, uh, Towards the end of it, she asked if I would stay on to help teach the following cohorts, um, which I was extremely grateful and excited to do, uh, which is what I'm still doing. And I guess this is, we're on cohort five now. We just started the first, wow. uh, or we just ended the first uh, section of cohort five. And um, besides that, I also try to do local classes um, and I have my own um, shorter online classes available at Empathy Academy. Um, and I do one-on-one consultations, both in person and, um, and online. Um, and in, and to, just to mention the massage, which is the other kind of main thing I offer right now with Quintessence Living, um, that is something that I actually, um, when I was very young, I was raised by my grandparents and my grandfather used to um, trade back massages with me. And, and I think he got a better end of the deal because he knew how to tell time and I was too little. So he would be like, well, we'll do 10 minutes each. And I would, I would keep having to ask if my 10 minutes were up yet, but um, I'm, never, I'm never entirely sure if he was, if he was uh, getting the better end of that deal. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just like kind of learned to love it. Um, and I, uh, you know, I decided to go to school for it and get licensed when I lived up in New York. And um, <coughs> it's something I really, uh, I really still do enjoy, um, although it can be hard on the body sometimes. But um, it's one of those professions that very, very rarely is somebody uh, unhappy with you after working with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's really great. I have a feeling, though, that... Uh these disparate elements, which one would say, you know, working with the body and working with something that's not necessarily uh, physical, but, you know, um, maybe a a mental or like biochemical experience, like emotions, Mm -hmm. um, they're probably related uh, in terms of your practice. Yeah, well, the reason uh, I chose to 
kind of the focus of my business and the name of the business, uh, Quintessence Living, was um, in direct response to a very specific part of um, the larger dynamic emotional integration work is this concept of elemental balance. And that speaks to the idea that we have um, basically four different aspects of ourselves as whole human beings. However, generally in society, we're encouraged to only honor and focus um, and respect maybe one or two of these. Often um, you'll have intellectual seems to be the most popular. Um, so our intellectual intelligence is you know, generally what is the standard. Um, sometimes spiritual is also a big one, sometimes body. Um, but the emotions always tend to um, kind of get pushed aside and come in last place in mm. terms of, of honoring. Um, and the, the, what happens in the elemental theory is we kind of equate the different aspects of ourselves as humans to the different elements in nature. So uh, our bodies are symbolized with earth, our minds and intellectual intelligence is symbolized with air, our uh, Spirits are symbolized with fire and uh, emotions are water. Mm -hmm. So, um, and really the, the idea is that we are not any specific one of these things alone, but we are the combination and the resulting kind of synergistic fifth element that arises when we have access to um, the wisdom and strengths of our entire human organism. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, so in that way, um, you know, they are related uh, in terms of massage and emotions. Um, like, do, I do some a little, a little bit of the earth and body work, and I do a little bit of the water emotion work. But, of course, the idea is that they're all interconnected. And when you, um, when you have access to the um, connection and the wisdom within each of these different things, they can support each other and work together. And that's really, you want to be fully resourced because life is tough and things are going to happen where you can't, you know, you, your emotions are going to be suffering sometimes or your body's going to be suffering sometimes or, you know, either of the other two as well. But if you have um, access to the strength and resources of the other elements, you, you can always kind of find a way to, to go on and uh, get to a better place. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I guess you're working with emotions, but I feel like the part of you that works with emotions isn't the emotional part of you. You know, I feel like it's that there is the, uh, there is like the, uh, the sort of inner witness wisdom discerning part of you that works with emotions, you know, which is definitely like um, not, not in the water region, maybe more in like the fire air region, or maybe even actually, if you want to look at the classical elements um, in, in the Indian system, there's space which is Akasha, meaning it's like the, you know, uh, that, that thing that's behind everything, you know, right. watching, right. driving, moving. And I feel yeah. like that, that's the part of you that's kind of like working with your emotions. It's, it's, it's a much more stable, clear inner wisdom. Than the <laughs> See, yeah, and moving. I can hear you, you, um, uh, valencing the emotions already. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. We'll get, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you're learning, when you're first learning, um, just as when we're learning the emotions, we kind of teach them individually, but the idea is the truth of it is that they all kind of all, are always working together. The same thing with the elements, you know, we, it's good to break them down and sometimes you need to separate out when you're learning, but, but in, um, actuality, they all kind of work together. Um, you know, 
basically indistinguishably. But but yeah, in order to learn what the emotions are and what they um, what they signify and to learn the skills, you generally have to be tapping into intellectual or sometimes physical or um, spiritual sides of yourself as well. Yeah. So actually, I, I'm really curious about this because, you know, my, my training and just kind of my, my tendencies are towards, um, you know, it's like a Vedic Vedantic um, perspective, you know, very yogic background in terms of my, uh, my kind of Eastern wisdom tradition schooling. And a lot of that is like, uh, you know, focusing on that, which is beyond the sort of uh, all the things that this body does, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, which has, which had major, major limitations and problems for me, like that I realized um, in, in that as like a very, you know, as in that as a worldview and an ethical mm-hmm. system, uh, yeah. which I ended up breaking away from. Um, but like, you know, um, it's, I still am very, very informed by the idea of like, well, you're not just your thoughts and feelings. You're, you're right. way beyond that. And so, um, but, but which is why I really like talking to people that really work on the level of thoughts and feelings and, and how I may sound when I say, well, we're not just that, we're this. <laughs> but, um, but when I say, clean, clear, stable inner wisdom, does that sound, is that a, is that a valencing um, perspective? Well, um, yeah, I guess that to me implied that the emotions are not such, and that's not, I would argue that that's not necessarily true. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> really? So, so a statement saying like there's, like you are feeling emotions, but then there's a part of you that isn't the, just isn't simply swept away in those emotions. There's a part of you that is not moving that is just able to sort of direct and sort out what's happening um through through a lens that isn't just the emotion i guess you can say yeah Um, no i guess i would agree with that you you know there is this kind of um observation of oneself that um you know there's lots of kind of different theories around what where that is and what that comes from um but um but just that the emotions, I just wanted to clarify that the emotions are not um, necessarily these things that are a source of, of overwhelm at all times or, um, or something that needs to be controlled, right? I guess like the, um, the male perspective or like maybe the male spiritual practitioner um, sure. may have trouble not coming off like that. <laughs> but, um, but uh, so, or, or maybe once these like, once these like um, ideas are cited. Uh, there might be the assumption that it, it discredits emotions themselves because these schools of thought are just so known for it. Of just saying, oh, emotions, yeah, petty human dramas, you know, like, <laughs> right? Yeah, like I'm no, that's definitely not what I found to be an effective uh, way of living, and definitely not an integrated way of living. When enlightenment and yoga and all of that stuff is about self-integration and not simply like getting rid of the stuff that we don't like or is yeah, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I have a lot, a lot I want to talk about, uh, about like, uh, valencing tendencies and, and modern spirituality and all of its priorities and, and how they end up really discrediting emotions when they're such a powerful source of, um, information and self-knowledge and, and basically like what to do in the present moment, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Firstly, actually, I wanted to ask, um, are you identified as an empath? Like, is that, a, has that been your experience? Um, yeah, I would say so. Um, it's a it's a funny question coming from you know on this side of learning Carla's work because um, we learned that really everyone has that ability 
to a certain extent, and it's just whether or not it's refined or suppressed, you know. Um, but even before I knew Carla's work, I would say that the kind of more common understanding of what an empath is, um, I felt like I was good at judging other people's emotions and um, very sensitive to picking up on them, um, that kind of thing. So yeah, I think I would, um, I don't often use it, but I, I would identify as an empath for sure. And actually, can you help uh, identify the word empath, how it's culturally understood, how it's incomplete, and then maybe your own journey as um, sort of an emotional being um, through okay. discovering this work? So the term empath um, often has a kind of um, supernatural or mystical um, kind of quality associated with it. Um, and I won't deny that the romantic of that you know it's very alluring to 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 and and comforting i would say for a lot of people most likely to know that like oh i'm i'm an empath and so i'm special and you know and that kind of maybe helps people have a sense of um uh, confidence or importance in the world um where really every human being is an empath we're that's we're you know we're wired to be empathic um we're wired to be able to pick up on each other's emotions and um you know to to a certain degree more or less depending on all sorts of things a big piece which is um how we're raised in our environment how um our caregivers our early caregivers teach us um through interacting you know, that's one of the concerns with a lot of screen time is that they're, they were worried that um, babies weren't going to develop empathy because, um, you know, they're not having as much face-to-face -face engagement. Mm -hmm. um, I think they found kind of different, depends on the type of app and whatnot. And, but, um, but yeah, sometimes, uh, you know, a parent, especially if a parent is young and overwhelmed and maybe single parent, um, single mom, they maybe just aren't able to give their their babies face to face time as much, and and that baby might um, not develop as uh, as many skills in empathy as they they could have. And you can, um, you know, later on in life, you can increase those skills. You know, you can decide that you want to be better at empathy. Um, reading literature is one um, proven way to do that. So mm -hmm. it's not a you know a, a foregone conclusion. Wherever one lies on the empathic spectrum, what does it mean? to just be um, like a skilled participant in the emotional world. We have a course that we offer called Emotional Genius. And that mm -hmm. I like to address that question up front. Like, what does it mean to be an emotional genius? Because right. yeah, for a lot of people, there's a misconception that when I master the emotions, which is kind of a weird way to say it, mm -hmm. um, but when I you know, become an emotional genius, I will be free of emotions. And <laughs> that's not actually what we're, we're trying to do or is even possible to do. Um, what it means though, is that when your emotions arise, whichever intensity they arise at, you will have the skills and the resources and the wisdom to be able to navigate through that mm -hmm. and respond and make better decisions because of the information that the emotions are bringing to you. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's about as concise of a way I can put it. Um, and um, so for me, for example, one of the emotions that when I first read Carla's book and started doing this work on my own, um, the emotion that was, probably made the biggest difference for me was learning about anger, 
which is an emotion that signals there's a boundary impairment. Mm -hmm. And so there's practices that we teach, like, um, uh, you know, a lot of them are visualization based, but we also try to incorporate ways of doing them more kinesthetically or through, you know, as many different methods as possible because not everyone resonates with the visualization. Um, but for me, the visualizations worked. And so, uh, you know, visualizing a, a kind of a lighted boundary around myself, whenever I felt a surge of anger, which would happen often, I would, you know, focus the energy into that, um, that kind of visualization, feeling like I was in a protected kind of space um, that was my own space. And immediately it felt better. It felt more comfortable. And then, um, and then from there, there's questions that we have associated with each emotion that helps kind of then decide and channel the energy and wisdom of the emotion into what then to do next, if anything. Um, and so there's actually been a recent change in the anger questions, but, um, but right now uh, the most updated version is what do I value mm -hmm. and what must be protected and restored? So when you... Would feel, when I would feel that surge of anger, I could ask myself, what do I value? And that helps me kind of assess the situation, realize why my anger arose, what boundaries were being crossed. And then uh, I could make decisions about if I wanted to do something and, and what that would be from a more, more informed place than just kind of reacting by, you know, lashing out or, you know, like running away from the situation or whatever the response might have been. Um, so that's one example. Yeah, and so um, I'd love to elaborate on this very process because um, what uh, Carla's work proposes is, you know, properly, masterfully kind of experiencing, processing, and working with an emotion rather than just uh, rejecting it as not a preferential one. She gets very uh, clinical uh, in saying what an emotion really is, action requiring stimulus. And in our experiential kind of perspective, that means an emotion's giving us information about the situation, mm -hmm. not, not something that needs to like bowl us over, but something that actually puts us, can position us properly to then, you know, live and act in that experience as we need to. So yeah, what does that look like to properly experience an emotion versus, versus not? properly experiencing and um, you know, yeah. right so it's going to look different for everyone of course that's a big you know part of of the integrity of of this work is that we mean you know as empathy is such an important piece of it um to honor each person's individual experience and that's something that's really special to me in this work too is because i think so much of our misunderstandings with each other and even in the world in a larger sense comes from this kind of um assumption that you know everyone uh, is like me or there's only one right way to be or you know there's the, the us and them right um there's lots of that going around um so so, if, so i just want to you know kind of disclaim that that it's going to look a little bit different for everybody mm -hmm. um but basically um most people start out with a stimulus happens right whether mm -hmm. that be um a common example we use is that uh, we see something in the grass, right? Maybe it's a snake. Um, and that's the stimulus. And so then we feel this something happen within us, 
an emotion happens and we feel whatever the kind of inner workings of that are, um, maybe, you know, we catch our breath or um, our heart starts beating or our eyes get wide or we focus directly, whatever it may be. Um, and then we react. You know, this is like kind of a general thing. So mm -hmm. we might jump or scream or run away. Um, and so that's kind of a lot of times how people work with emotions. They, there's a stimulus, there's an emotion, they feel it and they react or they act, they do something. Mm -hmm. What we want to introduce is this kind of cognitive pause piece where um, you turn towards the emotion and engage with it. We call it channeling because it's, an, it's a third option of the, of the expression versus repression, right? Those are the kind of the two main options most people uh, know of when working with emotions. But we offer this third one, which is channeling in the sense that you're taking the, what everything the emotion's bringing to you and you're engaging with it, uh, learning from it, and then deciding what then to do. So in this situation now, it's might not have been the best situation because a lot of times with panic, there isn't, you know, you're, there isn't time to engage. That's one of the only emotions that you pretty much just, you know, fight, flee or freeze. <laughs> yeah. But if it's, if it's far enough away and you realize you get spooked, maybe that's a snake. So then you can sense that you're feeling fear and then turn towards it. And uh, fear is the emotion that helps us focus. It helps us, um, it helps us have access to our intuition and to notice changes in the in the surroundings. It's a really important emotion for survival mm -hmm. um, and for safety. And so we might be able, and this a lot of times this happens so fast that it's it's not um, you know when we're explaining it we draw it out, but when it happens in real time it can it can happen in a matter of seconds or shorter. Uh, but we might you know, we might stay still, we might focus in on the area, maybe look around the area, see if we notice any movement, and then maybe we'll take a step closer and realize, oh, it's just a garden hose or mm -hmm. whatever. Um, and at that point, you know, we've done, we've honored the emotion and then we've figured out that it, there's no reason um, to be concerned for our safety and we go about our, our day. Um, I think that's a really, you know, easy example, it's a simple example. Um, I feel like I want to try to think of one that's a little bit more complicated, um, that maybe, because I think most people can sign on board for that one. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but let's see if we can think of one that's a little bit more challenging. Can okay. I give you, can I give you yeah, one in, absolutely. uh, okay. I, I just, the service environment. Here I am. Yeah. I'm, I'm at a table, uh, and I'm, and I'm, you know, serving a guest and, um, and then he just, he says something extremely demeaning out of the blue, you know, just uh -huh. like, I'm just there doing my job, really feeling like I'm showing up, you know, and being a caring person. And they, they just say something to just, to just, li to like literally completely intent on condescending me. Okay. And, uh, and I'm feeling anger. Um, okay. That's, that, that would be, that's my first feeling. Anger, okay. which manifests as uh, self-righteous uh, thinking. There are many options in that industry. Yes. <laughs> um, depending on depending on the context, in some in some environments you can be rude back. Um, mm -hmm. in, in others, you have to push it down and be absolutely uh, an absolute like kindness robot in return. Um, right. But I do believe there are other options, which I always like exploring with with experts. Sure. Um, but like, what does that what does that look like? Because 
what we're talking about when we experience an emotion is like a, there is an expression of it. It's just a lot more refined. It's like, oh, well, they made me angry. I better be honest. I better be honest about what I'm feeling and like smash this bottle over their head because that's anger. I can't repress it. <laughs> but obviously we need, to, we need to embody anger in that situation and still be professional. So how would that look? So, um, and there ain't, you know, the, the trick with this work or the tricky part of explaining this work is it kind of leads you down a rabbit hole. And so I have to kind of make a judgment call on how much to explain. That's not yeah. going to be oh, totally overwhelming. Um, so it's, it's of course more complicated than I'm going to get into here. Um, and there's probably lots of other emotions that are kind of showing up on the sidelines mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. as well. No but doubt. with, so whenever anger arises, the first um, easiest thing to do is channel it into your boundaries. However, whatever that means for you, whatever that works for you. Like I said, for me, the visualization is, is great. Um, for some people, um, we, I had a student one time that couldn't like picture a boundary, but when he uh, thought of the notion of sound, a sound barrier around him, mm-hmm. that was, that really clicked for him. Um, for some people, it can be, it needs to be more physical, like um, it could be taking a step back or, you know, kind of just, you know, feeling your feet in, in, on the floor or just having some sort of kinesthetic element to it. Um, maybe even just taking a breath. I imagine that would be an easy one to kind of train yourself to do, especially coming from like a yogic background. Breathing is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. And if you can train yourself to check in with your boundary and regain that sense of separateness and autonomy, um, then that would be like the first step. So whenever anger arises, check in and kind of create your boundaries, create your sense of being, um, you know, your own self in the world and being entitled to your own space. And that often is enough to um, kind of down, uh, to calm yourself down. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying, anyway, and then and then you can ask the questions, like, what do I value? Well, in this situation, you value being respected, of course, probably, which is why the anger um, arose in the first place. You value, and you know, I'm just kind of speaking for you, but just in general, um, feel free to, to <laughs> interrupt or offer things if, if, uh, if I'm totally off base. Um, you uh, value um, being acknowledged for the work that you're doing, um, but you also value your job and, um, and not having to get a manager involved with your table, um, yeah. right? You involve, you, you val- I guess that would the, be worded as you value, um, you know, a smooth work day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, ah, interesting. Cool. Yeah. So you kind of have all of these things and it's understanding um, what has caused the anger can be helpful. Um, but then there needs to be that piece of, okay, Yes, if, you know, if we were two people out on the street or two friends and this person just said this to me, um, that is not going to go over well and I probably would say something to them, right? Mm. Um, But you're in a different environment. You're in a work environment and the rules are different. Um, And so that's incorporating other emotions here to help you make this decision because maybe what you want to do is just tell the person that was kind of out of line or I'm not, you know, there's different ways to to approach conversations wise things that make you angry that other people do but um that might be you know i don't want to go down that rabbit hole right now Mm -hmm. Um, and you can do it without bite 
right? I guess is the idea. Like you can do it without contributing to the anger pool that they're just going to draw from, from and raise their level of, um, what's the word? Douchiness. I got to find a better <laughs> word, but like, that's our industry word for it, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Like you can, you can escalate the confrontation, which yeah. often happens, um, or not. And generally, um, escalating it sometimes feels good. Like sometimes, you know, there is a surge of energy with it, right? Power, anger is power, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, but the misconception about anger is that it it is about fighting and it's about controlling when really anger in its purest kind of most true state is about honoring. And, and that's why we changed the the question to what do I value? Because that takes the fight out of it. It's really about um, remembering what's important to you and remembering your own autonomy in the world. What I do often, like, you know, putting myself in that situation, I'm like, okay, that was really out of line. Am I going to take it personally? Like, is it about me? Probably, you know, I would first just channel that that surge of anger into my boundary. And then that helps me, that helps create the space that makes me realize this person's got something going on over there and I've got my stuff going on over here. Yeah. There's, you know, there's no reason why his words have to influence my behavior. Yeah. Um, because I am a separate person with my own sense of boundaries. And there is that, you know, there does need to be that, that sense of separateness, which that, you know, for me was the hardest, uh, was something I didn't have. And, when, and that's why anger was so, so um, helpful for me when I first started learning this work. And I think a lot of people have difficulties with boundaries because we're not you know, as children, we're, we're, you know, we're, of course, there's certain boundaries that we were not allowed to have as children for safety purposes and all that. But even as we grow, there's a lot of, um, and I will say, I think, especially for, for women, um, you know, it's, it's about, um, you know, share your toys and don't do, you know, don't do this thing. And, and, um, you know, I mean, it's kind of clearly a big issue right now, but, um, you know, and, and I would say all children, you know, not just women, but, um, you know, if you don't want to hug or kiss your, your uncle, like you're told to do it anyway, right? You're right. We're constantly denied the ability to set boundaries for ourselves from an early age. So it makes sense that the only way people know how to set boundaries is with the, like the concept of fighting, right? Right. Um, but there are other ways to do it. And um, it just, they, you know, you just have to learn them. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy to, to kind of separate that out. It takes some time. It's one of the trickier pieces, being able to kind of um, separate the fight instinct out from um, true anger. But it can be done. And, and even just setting that, um, you know, checking in internally, using that, that energy surge you feel to remind yourself of your boundary, your personal boundary, um, that, that alone can make a huge difference. Um, and I'll actually, one other thing that, um, you know, they've done a lot of the research has shown that, um, even just naming it. So that can be something too, just naming the emotion, you know, kind of having this internal dialogue of, wow, that was out of line. I am so angry right now or whatever, you know, I'm livid or, you know, the more different kinds of words you can have for the different types of and intensities of emotions, automatically the better skills you have at working with them. That's just, it's kind of like a freebie. It's like, just think of a bunch of words. You're like, we have the emotional vocabulary list that we offer for free mm-hmm. on the site. And, um, and also, um, you know, you can, it comes with all of our kind of 
um, like the emotion cards and whatnot, and we give it in all the classes, but just having a way to name that emotion um, in a way that resonates for you, that, that gives you um, an automatic advantage uh, in working with it. Yeah. Um, and one, one thing um, I'm wondering too, um, I think a lot of the time when people are experiencing in the service environment is fear too, yeah. and uh, they don't realize it. And I know, I know fear has value, even though everyone on the planet in any self-development or spiritual world will say it's <laughs> not, it's the opposite right. of love. And actually, and that took the biggest jump, that took the biggest leap for me, uh, listening to uh, Carla McLaren. Because I, uh, I still, when she was talking about anger and its value, and I was like, absolutely, love that, sure. Yep. Um, then I was like, fear, what? No, that's just you giving into the fact that you're weak and vulnerable and threatened and your life is threatened when you're really not. That's just you deluding yourself. And, uh, that, that's, that's, that's the narrative, right? Um, but, but I first will say though, um, there is a certain, um, there is a certain grip fear has on someone in a situation like that, that does that, that causes them the problems. Um, for example, you're feeling anger because you're afraid like you when someone says something demeaning to you you literally are having your sense of self attacked you know mm. your, your sense of continuity your sense of integrity like i am a good valuable person this person just said i'm not mm. oh uh, well there therefore i now must fight for myself because myself is threatened and i guess fear is what sets the alarm that there is a threat right so um so like having fear not define um, one's response uh, is good, but so so how does one also feel and use fear where when it, it is everywhere, you know, and causes sure. more problems? Yeah. Um, so so how are how are you with driving? Do you feel like you're a calm driver in general? Not you know not when there's like lots of traffic and you have somewhere to be, but just in general. Uh, are you very yeah. jumpy on the road. Like do you just you get like. How do you react when oh, you're driving? Sometimes, sometimes. I don't like driving uh, as so much anymore. Um, yeah, but uh, I, uh, I, I, it really depends. I'm not, a re- I'm not reliable re- whether or not I enjoy driving. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, even just, you know, not, the reason I ask that question is because that's a really kind of good example that a lot of people can relate to, to a place where you're using fear in a really free flowing, comfortable way, but most people are not gonna say for the, like when they're driving, they're usually afraid. Um, right. You know, if you're just driving to the to your a normal commute, like generally you're aware, but you're not, you don't feel, you wouldn't identify it as fear, mm-hmm. right? But um, as with all emotions, fear has many different levels and intensities. And, and we actually, work most of us work with fear a lot more often than we realize because anytime you have to um you know pay attention and focus as when you're driving um probably a really good example is kind of that you know kind of cliche um thing that when you were um trying to find a, a new address you you know when you're slowing down you turn the radio down right, <laughs> right, right. Um, it's like and it's kind of a joke like people are like well why do you need to turn the radio down if you're if you're looking for something it's because you're using your emotion of fear your free flowing fear and it's focusing it needs to focus uh, on what inputs is relevant to it yeah. right fear is helping you fear is saying that's irrelevant get that you know we don't need that drop that right. so you you know you lower the volume so that you can focus more on the input coming in from your eyes and specifically what you're looking for. 
So that's what fear helps us do when it's in that calm state. It helps us notice fear is actually um, what helps you notice as you're walking by a table that, you know, like table three's water is empty. Like, you know, that's actually fear because you're constantly um, surveying your surroundings to notice changes and things. And generally it's um, more kind of um, fear is more geared towards things that it will be possible, possible physical, um, physical threats like fear itself. But, um, but the other emotions within the fear family, you know, can help with things like the water glass and things, Oh, I'm going to have to do that thing. Um, you know, in a second. Um, so, so in the service industry, industry, especially like fear, like everyone has to be accessing their, their, their fear in order to be working. Um, yeah. and their and anxiety, which is, you know, the other emotion in the fear family, it, that has like a completely, you know, um, different association for a lot of people. But, uh, and this is, I'm talking about the free flowing uh, intensities of these emotions, the, the helpful versions that we wouldn't normally call um, those by those names. Um, and what happens with fear is something very similar to what happens with anger in a lot of those situations where, um, where something changes in our environment or like we know, you know, our fear will signal some sort of something's different and we need to fix it. Right. Mm -hmm. But maybe we don't have the skills or we don't, we're not sure we have, you know, we're not sure what to do with that emotion. And so we, you know, we kind of work ourselves up into a tizzy and maybe, you know, feel the urge to run away or, um, you know, again, to, to attack or something like that or freeze is a big one maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, a big, um, really, we have um, several different, what we call them empathic mindfulness skills. Uh, the boundary setting one is is one of them. Another one, and I, you know, we, we use the two uh, boundary setting with the other grounding um, so often that we combine them to just be called groundaries a lot. Um, <laughs> because basically, anytime an emotion comes up that you um, are not sure what to do with, and it feels like it might become overwhelming, do your grounding and do your boundary setting. And yeah. um, the more you work with it, the more, uh, the easier it will get. And what that does is helps you, you know, focus in on the here and now, like, is my life being threatened? No. You know, am, am I at the mercy of this person? No. Um, I, you know, and, and having that sense of um, kind of, you know, being present and being, you know, grounded and, you know, to use the word to define it, unfortunately, um, I think people can have a kind of instinctual understanding of what that means, even if they've never done it before, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, to ground yourself. Yeah. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and I, f I find, you know, in this, in, in the restaurant industry or any, actually, I, f I find it's difficult to actually have very many that can other industries that can be considered an equivalent, maybe being like an ER doctor or something. Uh, yeah. And I feel the emotional state of ER doctors and waiters in a busy restaurant are probably similar, even though the stakes are smaller. Sure. <laughs> uh, and I feel because because your fear is is already um, so much sort of engaged in looking around for details that are out of place and processing so much changing stimulus that um, they one is most likely to spill over into reactivity. You of know, course. Yeah. It's, it's just so easy for it to, yep. to just switch. 
you know, from I'm just doing my job, you know, ma'am, to, yep. uh, to, you know, yeah, attack mode. And that's why, you know, employees snap at each other. And that's why. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And you know what, I'll, I'll even go further with the, the, um, the comparison. I would say not, you know, clearly the stakes are higher and it's a whole different thing, but emotionally, um, emergency room doctors don't have to worry about being friendly or putting on, you know, they can just do their job. Like seriously, you know, there's no, they don't, there's no expectations of them emotionally. They just have to do their job. And well, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, and so they don't have to engage with anyone they don't want to. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not, that's not how the service industry works. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're constantly being asked to engage with people that we would probably rather not, engage with not you know of course there's the great customers as well but um you know but generally in life if you don't like somebody you don't have to spend time around them (laughs) yeah yeah in terms of feeling like emotions that we label in our culture um as bad a really another really interesting one too for me was like oh shame you know it's a valuable emotion and um every worldview pretty much rejects it or considers it like um an instrument of punishment to shame someone, right? right? Yeah. And um, it, can, it can get bad, of course, that feeling of shame, but it's actually, you know, it turns out to be indispensable. It's kind of like a, an empathic, like a social empathic electric fence, like, bzz, you know, you crossed a boundary, you know, yep. it's a simple little pulse. That yeah, makes it's a great way, way to describe it. Yeah. And we just kind of say, oops, you know, like I won't cross that boundary again. Um, but like, it really gets bad when it becomes fuel like our own fuel for a belief system to degrade ourselves or to degrade yeah. another. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm wondering about emotions. Is it the emotion itself and too much of it that can be a problem or is it one's own inner narration of the mind, you know, around that emotion? So um, any emotion can have a situation where it becomes too much. Like if you, you know, when you learn how to work with it and you're trying to do the things and it's not responding, it might just need that you need extra support, you know, like a, a counselor or something like that. So that that can happen with any of the emotions. If they get kind of too out of control, but they are not manageable, then absolutely we encourage people to, um, you know, seek out um, support for that. Um, because sometimes you just need a little bit of help to kind of get things to a place where then you can work with it. You know, it gets a little bit under control. Um, but um, whether or not, so it's not the emotion itself that is that is usually the problem. Um, and I and I think the way you said that is is pretty close to the truth of it. It, but we tra- talk about it in terms of contracts, like. Shame helps us up, uh, live up to our own contracts in to be good people in the world, you know, to whatever that means to us. Right. Yeah. So like, unfortunately, what that means for a lot of people is what it meant to their parents or the people that they spent a lot of time with in their, in their younger days or, you know, in, the, in their influential period of their life. Um, and so sometimes we can get contracts written for ourselves that are not authentic to who we are and what we want to be. Um, and sometimes like in an abusive situation, uh, especially in childhood, we form contracts that are really important in the time that we, um, when we're young and in a dangerous situation and, but, but become um, counterproductive as adults once we, you know, kind of get out of that. Um, 
you know, a people pleasing behavior comes, you know, and that can come from, you know, not even outright abuse, but just kind of social accept, you know, desiring to be socially accepted if you're there's any kind of, um, you know, like feeling neglected or anything like that. Um, you learned to kind of, uh, or one of the options that can happen is somebody could learn to um, basically just do whatever the other person wants, right? Their shame can say, if I want this, ignore it, just do it. You know, your shame can make you feel bad about wanting anything when somebody else wants something different. Mm -hmm. And so that's a contract. And that generally the contracts that we form, the reasons for, that we kind of create for our shame arising have really good reasons for and that when they are created originally. And a lot of times they stop um, being good for us. And so there's a process of basically identifying and then burning those contracts. Again, that's another one of the practices and whether it be um, through a visualization or a meditation or physically writing stuff down on paper and burning it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a kind of um, you know, symbolic way we can um, let go of these old contracts and um, so that we have space for the kind of the new behaviors that we want to have. Um, mm -hmm. I absolutely understand what it's like to have that shame um, that is so, that, you know, that doesn't say I did a bad thing, let me fix it. That says I did a bad thing, see how I'm worthless. Yeah. Um, and I will say a lot of times, and um, my experience, especially the remedy to that um, is actually working with our anger. Because while well, anger also protect, well, anger is one of the big jobs of anger is to kind of protect ourselves from outside behavior. It also gives us that strong inner sense of confidence and belong and you know entitlement to exist in the world. And so, if we don't, if we're constantly suppressing our anger and pushing aside our anger when we're feeling it, we are also probably starting to feel more um, badly about ourselves, and our shame probably is starting to have um, more weight when it arises because we don't have that inner sense of um, belonging in the world. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, generally in our culture, uh, you know, in just basically everyday culture, but also again, the, the culture of, you know, uh, self-cultivation, Eastern wisdom, I think the most attention seems to be paid to dealing with the unpleasant emotions, quote unquote, the ones mm -hmm. that we don't like, uh, the ones that, you know, seem to cause us the most problems or at least the most obstacles to our culturally defined aspirations, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think immediately of Buddhism, which almost always, you know, makes a life mission out of navigating unmanageable emotions. Um, and, you know, in today's culture of self-development, uh, you know, same thing. There isn't much emphasis put on properly working with the desirable or pleasant emotions like happiness, contentment, and joy that we, you know, tend to aspire to. And I guess the belief is that, you know, since so, since it is uh, so much harder to maintain states of happiness, contentment, and joy, then we just need to get there. <laughs> and the necessity of actually living from those states properly is either, you know, too advanced or irrelevant since they're considered like an arrival point, you know, Oh, you're happy and content. Great. You're self-actualized. But, um, you know, your, your system of uh, DEI looks at the potential qualities of the most heightened states of happiness and joy to include things like, you know, self-aggrandizement, egotism, mania. So I'm really interested in your thoughts on how these desirable emotions can get out of control 
just as much as the undesirable ones and, and how one has to also apply that same level of, you know, mastery, that same channeling to embody uh, these states properly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Great question. DEI is very different in that it uh, doesn't place any one of the emotions or any group of emotions above any of the others. Um, you know, we have these four keys to emotional uh, genius that we talk about. And one of them is, is not balancing, not saying that one emotion is positive and one emotion is negative. Ra rather just to remember that they all um, are informing us of our world. And so it, you know, whether or not they're um, the results of our actions in response to these emotions are positive or negative depends on a lot of different things. But the emotions themselves are just um, things that really should come and go um, as we go through our lives. Um, so with the, the emotions in happinesses, uh, which are joy, contentment, and happiness itself, um, a big part of the problem is that uh, because I won't deny that they're great emotions. I, I love them. I love feeling them. <laughs> and most people are very comfortable with them, whereas they may not be comfortable with a lot of other emotions. Um, but the problem becomes when we want to, we want them to stay, right? Um, it's because emotions are not designed to stay. Um, and that's really hard. That's a really hard one for a lot of people because, um, it is, you know, our, our cultures, so much of the, you know, religions and so many different philosophies, they, they tell us that's where we should stay. And so if we don't, we are failing, which of course is not helpful. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, and we keep trying to get them to stay. Um, emotions are not designed to do that though. Um, so, you know, part of it is the terminology, like what we, um, I think there is a place where one can get that um, feels generally comfortable for the most part. Um, but in that place, what I think is actually happening is all of the emotions are free to kind of um, flow in their, uh, in their natural states and come and support us when uh, and something happens in our environment that requires that emotion. And, and then when we address the situation or the situation changes, the emotion can flow on. Um, so, so joy um, arises you know, when we are kind of feeling a sense of community or um, accomplishment in, in a greater sense. You know, it connects us, joy connects us with um, others in the world in a way that um, most other emotions do not, um, except for grief. Grief also connects us in a, in a very similar way with others. Um, but, but if we try to live in that state, um, it doesn't even make sense when you think about it. Um, sometimes I'll use the analogy of like ice cream. It's like, you might love ice cream, but does the idea of eating ice cream only, like every day, all day, as all, every meal, does that sound like a good idea? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, it might be fun even for like a week, you know, but at some point, I, I think for most people, if not everybody, it's going to start making you sick, right? It's going to start not feeling good. It's, you're going to want some actual food. Um, and are you going to be joyful at a funeral? You'll look psychotic, you know? Right, exactly. Right. There's places where joy is inappropriate. Um, mm -hmm. in, in joy's purpose of connecting us, it lowers our boundaries, which is great in, in a moment that's appropriate for that. 
But if we're, you know, walking down um, a dark alley when there's a criminal on the loose, like we don't want to be feeling joy. We want to be feeling fear. We want to be feeling anger. You know, we want to have the emotions that help us focus and help us be present and grounded so that if we need to, we can move to a place of safety. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just to me like that, maybe that's really is one of a better example. Like you don't, you know, you want to be living from a place of joy when you're in an, a bad, a bad environment. Um, because that's not the emotion that's going to help you get out of it safely. Um, and so, you know, the same with happiness and contentment, they each kind of have their appropriate places. Um, and there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that we place so much focus on only being comfortable with them and, and striving for them. And, you know, even it's written into, um, you know, our, our do- federal documents to, you know, pursue happiness. It's like, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, it's, but, you know, when, when we learn to work with all of our emotions, like when we have access to all of their gifts and resources, happiness will come. It'll come when it's appropriate and then it'll, it'll fade away. And that's okay. That's actually what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Does that answer your question? Definitely. Yeah. And, and I'm curious too, because when, when I see um, the possible side effects of um, those emotions being things like egotism and self-aggrandizement, I think, I mean, I see that as like, oh, well, that's like a, that sounds like a co- complex internal struggle, like, like the mind constructing ideas of itself and, you know, um, all kinds of things that require tremendous work on yourself to sort of, um, overcome but um how is this like an ineffectively channeled emotion like how is this like just simply a product of like experiencing happiness in a way that's immature um you mean those kind of results is that yeah yeah okay um it probably the easiest way to explain um how that could happen is by checking in with which gifts are you not having access to by only focusing on happiness. You're only having the gifts of happiness. Mm-hmm. That means for, you know, in, in terms of the, um, the specific things you are pointing out, you don't have the gifts of shame, right? You don't have the gifts of understanding other people's needs and boundaries, right? It's, and so, um, that is one way, you know, if you, if you're feeling shame, um, that allows you to kind of keep yourself in check without shame. It's, it's harder to do that. Um, and if you only want to feel happiness, if you basically, every time you start to feel a little bit ashamed about something, you push it away and turn towards happiness, then you might be able to see how that kind of creates this. You kind of start to create a narrative of convincing yourself like, Oh, well I, you know, I'm just not going to, you know, think about that person because they're, you know, they're bringing me down or whatever, yeah. you know. And so it, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. It's, you know, it's not something that is um, a direct result of, you know, doing this one time or another. But if it's, it's something that is repeatedly done um, and, you, and you have less and less access to the other emotions, then sure, it could lead to something like a a good diet. Yeah, so cool. So it's kind of like, it's not like you're like experiencing happiness wrong and there's too much of it. It's like you're not allowing the symposium to to conference. You're not allowing everyone to have a seat at the table. You're not being a fully integrated person, basically. Yeah. There's there's all these different kind of like, you know, 
all these different employees in the office and they exactly. all need to work together. Right. right. They all have a job and you can try to do, uh, you know, if you are even like, even in the service industry, you know, mm -hmm. and it's like, uh, if you are um, a host, you can do your host real, your host job really well and you could be really good at it. And I'm trying to like make analogies. Like I'd say host would probably be happiness. Um, but, yeah, um, and then, but if, but suddenly like, you know, one of the cooks in the back uh, has to leave and you are asked to go take their position. Um, how are the meals going to be, <laughs> you know, like right. suddenly you're asking, you know, the host to do the job of the cook and it's like, well, okay, maybe they can do it in a pinch and, and they'll put something out, but is it going to be as good as um, what the person who is actually meant to do that job is going to, you know, put out. Every, you know, emotional aspect of yourself needs the like fullest expression of its role basically. And that's going to pre prevent the pitfalls of each individual emotion. Yeah. Um, you know, full, I would, I'm fullest expression. I just, you know, just because of the expression word, I'd, I'd be a little, maybe rephrase it, but needs to be welcomed fully to the table. There's a roomy poem that really talks about uh, the guest house. If you've ever read that, um, that talks about invite them all in, That that's basically Right. what you want to do with your emotions, like invite them all in, like sit, like get to know them, like every, you know, and, and learn what they have to bring you. And then um, you will be better off for it. Yeah. And that's ultimately like any, um, like, like done or really looked at properly or really lived properly. That is also ultimately any, like, I mean, what any spiritual practice is taking you into. We just tend to harvest out the stuff that sounds the nicest. Forget all the other um, wheels that need greasing, basically. Right, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, um, I think you're right. I think that's what happens. And, and a lot of people, um, you know, hear that. And then, you know, again, like shame is a big one that's really hard for a lot of people because it, you know, it's it can really attack your sense of self-worth. And then it's like, then you just feel bad about, you know, it's kind of like a downward spiral. Yeah, um, for a lot of people. So, you know, with my background and also just with my, you know, own story, immature stages of my life, um, I had, you know, originally thought of, you know, the most quote unquote socially competent people to be the most gregarious, witty and entertaining people to be around, you know, mm -hmm. but um I feel that behavior is often just kind of like a buffer to like, you know, true socially mature interaction. You know, and, and based on the DEI framework, what does it look like? What is socially intelligent behavior, truly? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, it depends on the situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and, you know, the person, I wouldn't say that um, someone like you described is, I, I feel like that's, um, their personality is independent of their um, emotional maturity or social skills because everyone's different, right? Some people yeah. are, um, you know, really liked, you know, if the extrovert introvert thing, some people love like talking to people and get, you know, really like that makes them happy. That gives them energy. And some people, um, you know, really need to kind of be on their own sometimes to, um, you know, feel happy and, and, um, get energy or, um, people who are very empathic, like we mentioned earlier, sometimes um, if they don't, when they don't have skills, and this is why kind of empaths get this kind of, um, a lot of times there's this idea that empaths, um, you know, need to be protected or something. But, um, but you know, if you 
are very empathic and you don't have skills or awareness of what's going on and don't know how to work with that in a way that um, allows you to live your life, uh, you might go out in a crowd and not and, and be overwhelmed by lots of emotions, you know? So um, I would say, so for each of the emotions, there are the gifts, right? And at their, and what uh, we can access when we can work with them at their free flowing levels. So I would say to take that list, that would be what an emotionally and socially mature person would be like somebody who um, is confident but kind, um, somebody who can laugh uh, at both at themselves and um, just have a good time. Um, somebody who um, knows, um, you know, when to walk away from a situation, uh, knows when to let go of something, somebody who can go with the flow. Mm -hmm. um, all of these things I'm listing are the, you know, like the gifts of the different emotions. With service-oriented work, all you you know, restaurant work is a, it was a metaphor for me for anyone who is doing anything beyond themselves. You know, any mm. sort of service work. You're doing service work in what you offer people, um, and I guess this the actual hospitality industry has um, certain limitations in how to be um, a, a balanced kind of you know, yeah. fully integrated service mm -hmm. professional because because you're responsible for actually not only simply um, satisfying people's needs, you know, and just getting them what they need, but you're actually um, responsible for creating a certain experience. You know, sure. you're actually, um, and and I've, I've read actually, I think directly in either yours or Carla McLaren's um, content uh, that you cannot be accountable and responsible for how you, how other people feel. You, you can't, and you can't put that on yourself to actually make other people feel certain emotions. That's, that's their responsibility. But like the service industry, that's literally what you need to do. You need to like, have you pushed the, the happiness button or not? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So how could you be like available to and most effective in like serving the needs of others while being true to like, you know, what you're experiencing in the process and being true to like being an emotionally integrated, intelligent person. We can't create emotion in another person just by willing it. Um, but we can create an environment um, that would allow certain emotions in preference of others to arise. Right. Um, you know, if you have a restaurant where people are like running around and the customers have to dodge out of the way, then, um, you know, that's like, Clearly, that's a great um, environment to cause fear in your customers, <laughs> um, you know, because they have to be on their toes. Um, you know, that's not the goal of most service um, professions, obviously, um, except, I mean, I, I don't know if you'd call it service, but the entertainment industry, you know, like that, that they are creating fear. That's what they're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah or the environment for it to rise and others service is outcome oriented you know professional yeah. service is outcome oriented you are supposed to make someone feel a certain way or let's say you're a healer you're supposed to make someone feel better you know like someone's supposed to come out better than they came in right, um right. and yet you're not responsible for other people in that yeah. way they're responsible for how they feel um yeah. so how do you really just show okay. up as a professional um, yeah. despite that truth i would always you know generally in maybe this isn't always the case for everybody, but I pretty much always tell people start with boundaries. You know, you would, you never want to leave home without them. <laughs> That's right. right. Um, if you can get good at setting boundaries, getting that sense of, um, you know, self down, then that's going to help with a lot of other things. 
Um, because that's going to be the place where um, you know when it's time to let go of something. Um, you know, when, when it's, okay, this isn't going to work right now. Um, and, and this, if I go, if I try to make this work, it's going to be, um, you know, sacrificing my boundary. And so that's when you have to get sadness to come in and help you let go of a situation. Right. Um, but in general, like trying to create an experience, I think that speaks to the empathy part of, of the work that we do and understanding, um, you know, and this, you know, probably could be a whole other show, honestly, the, um, the idea of empathy and because there's Carla's understanding of empathy is more extensive than the average understanding of it as well. A lot of times empathy is just seen as um, the ability to, to, under, to feel another person's emotion. But she has six different aspects in total of which that's only one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and one of, um, you know, being able to understand what another person is feeling and, and in an accurate way, that can be really helpful in the service industry because, you know, some people might, you know, might love it. Like there's whole restaurants kind of, and really like, I I suppose if you look at the service industry across the board, like each one kind of caters to a specific desire in people. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But individually there's still going to be overlap of people as they come and to be able to, to sense uh, as as accurately as possible, like what is this person looking for, um, and and then be able to kind of um, create the environment as best as you have control over that would allow them to experience that, um, you know, would allow that emotion to arise for them. So sometimes if you see somebody who's um, you sense that they're sad, maybe, and they just kind of you know a lot of people might be encouraged to kind of joke with them, and. It depends though, like for some people that could work, maybe if they're feeling lonely and you're joking with them, helps them feel connection, then that could be a great way to kind of give them what they're looking for. But if they're sad and, you know, they need to just kind of think about what's going on for themselves, maybe they need space, right? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, being able to provide that. Very situation specific, but I, but I, I do think being able to, you know, to work with these skills, um, the grounding and the boundaries, um, you know, as, as a first step, um, so that you can navigate your own emotions within a situation, because if you can't even work with your own emotions, you're going to have a hard time understanding and working with the emotions of people around you. Mm -hmm. Um, so really, um, but, and the, the opposite is true. If, if you get to a place where you really understand your own emotions and, and how they work and, and understand that, um, there is a kind of a, continuity i wouldn't say they work exactly the same in everybody but there is this sense of well, this emotion arises for this and this emotion arises for that it's going to look slightly different in how it manifests for each person but but if i see a person sad and i don't know the work that i do i might just want to cheer them up because sadness is bad and they need to be happy right mm-hmm. whereas if i recognize having learned this work sadness means something in their psyche is telling them they lead, they need to let go they need to let go of something in their life right now right? Mm-hmm. What is that? I don't know. Um, but, but understanding that can inform how to relate to them and how to change the, um, my behavior or, you know, uh, so that it can create a better environment for that space. I'm just picturing, <laughs> I just had a funny visual of seeing that someone's sad and whispering uh, to them, hey, uh, you know, um, you know, sadness is like a really valuable tool to uh, let go of something and it's good for internal contemplation and reflection. 
Uh, you're welcome. Right. You're welcome. That's yes. service with a plus right there. <laughs> you know what? I want someone to try it and tell me how it works. <laughs> Probably not well, because you're trying to use the intellect to, <laughs> uh, yeah, to honestly, overcome an emotion, you know. Honestly, though, I, I think you might be surprised because um, a lot of times when people are having emotions that, you know, generally are shamed by society or, or, or they're not comfortable with, just to tell them like, hey, that's okay. You yeah. know, like just to yeah. give people the space to acknowledge what they're feeling is huge. I mean, that's mm -hmm. going to usually make most people feel good, whatever right. it is that they're feeling. I think it, it takes a while before at least someone in my industry, in the restaurant industry, becomes mature enough to understand that they are, liter are, they are dealing with emotions. They're sure. dealing with something they can't just sprinkle alcohol and food on. You know, <laughs> well, they could try. <laughs> they could try, you know, and that might anesthetize them a bit. Like, yeah. uh, but like really to, to uh, understand what the person's feeling and what they're feeling and to work on that level takes your hospitality game to another level and takes yeah. your ability to like and find your work satisfying to another yeah. level. If you were to give like my listeners like one sort of technique that would be like, you know, something indispensable to them, something like don't leave home without it, like you're saying, what would that be? Right. Um, well, I'm going to try to find a way to fit as many as possible things into one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Or just, or just, just a few. Give us a few. This is yeah, long no, format. I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah. So, and I'm glad you asked this because this is something, I, you know, because I'm thinking like, yeah, all of this is probably great, but like how useful is this kind of, you know, um, detached information um, for somebody who just needs help like right here and now? Um, boundaries, of course. Like I would say, you know, um, Carla has a lot of information on her website available. So like you can go find a thing about grounding and boundaries and get a sense of how to work with that. Um, she's got YouTube videos that like, I think walk you through all of the empathic mindfulness practices. So go listen to grounding and boundaries. Something that I do want to draw attention to is, you know, it is hard work when you, you know, because things like we talked about earlier, you have to, um, you know, present and only select emotions to people when you have to also feel a lot of other emotions, right? Mm -hmm. So that generally the service industry is going to be like that. And, and in terms of restaurants specifically, like there's almost, um, you know, there is the, the, you know, the emotions will find a way. Like um, I worked at the Olive Garden um, years ago and we had this um, kitchen that had uh, you could walk through it had doors on either side so like you could go in one door pick up your food and go out the other door you know on the other side of the restaurant mm -hmm. and it was great because in that space when you were in the kitchen you could say anything pretty much do <laughs> anything that was your chance to get it all out right <laughs> and that is a really valuable space actually to have because one of the practices, again, that, um, that we have is called conscious complaining. And it acknowledges like there is a need to, your emotions are arising for a very important reason. And a lot of times if we have to suppress them in the moment, or you know, if that's the, the choice that we decide is the best in the moment, which often it is when we're working and we need to not express our anger or um, you know, whatever at somebody, um, the emotion is sometimes will get stronger because it says, hey, wait a minute, you didn't address this thing that needs to get addressed. And so sometimes the emotion intensifies. But if we can, you know, either one of two things, both often if possible, um, you know, have that inner narrative, have that identifying, okay, I'm feeling anger about this. That makes sense because of X, Y, Z. Um, I can't deal with it right now because I'm working, but I will, you know, 
see if I can address this later on in a different way, or I will acknowledge it. Also, being able to um, just kind of event or you know say like I'm really annoyed because this person did that um, to a, to somebody who is just going to listen, you know, and that there um, a lot of times with complaining when people are complaining the the listener. Um, thinks they have to solve the problem or fix it. Um, mm -hmm. But we create this container with conscious complaining that is, it's just so the person's emotions can kind of be heard um, mm -hmm. a lot of times. And, and sometimes that's what is required um, for them to hear what's actually going on for them. Sometimes, you know, because we're so used to kind of pushing our emotions aside. Sometimes we need to just let them out in kind of a big rush to be able to get to maybe some underlying ones that are actually what is the kind of root of what we're feeling in, in any given moment. Mm -hmm. um, but I have found um, from, from my, a lot of times from my work in the different service industries that I've done, there's this kind of, um, people are doing that just instinctually. Like I, you know, people just complain about the customers to each other because that's what you have to do. And a lot of times like, and there won't be advice. I mean, sometimes there will be, but, um, but a lot of times it's just like, yeah, I know I hate when, like I had a customer like that too, you know, last week or, and, and just being able to have that space and then let it go, um, can be really, really helpful. Um, I, I do, I would say just kind of bringing a little bit more consciousness to the practice so that you, you create boundaries around it, um, for the other person too. Like, can I just complain to you about, um, this customer right for a minute? And then I just want you to listen. I don't want you to offer advice. And then just, oh my gosh, they did this thing and I can't, and I'm so frustrated because I have this thing at home that I'm worried about and blah, 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 blah. And then in that speaking, you might realize, oh, it's not actually the customer that's bothering me. It's this thing at home or, or, you know, something might come up in that space when you're given that space mm. that helps you understand the kind of bigger picture. Yeah. Um, I mean, not to say that there's always a bigger picture. Sometimes it's just what's current, but, um, mm -hmm. and then, you know, when the, when you're done and you get it all out, just saying, thank you for listening and, and, you know, going on your way and to, you know, be able to kind of create that space where that's okay and it's not, you know, you don't have somebody that is like, well, you know, you just need to think positively or you just need to, you know, because that's not helpful in a situation when your anger is up for a reason, a very valid reason or any other emotion and you're, you know, being told basically just ignore it, that's, that'll help for a little while. You know, that might help um, look like it's helping for a little while. But, um, but then if you keep getting, uh, disregarded you're dishonoring your emotions you're dishonoring part of yourself and that is going to build up over time um so so yeah so i would say the grounding and boundaries for sure and then just kind of honoring your need for resourcing yourself whether that be making sure you get enough sleep before work which is hard to do i know um but it is important and creating those spaces where you have the um the ability to to work through your emotions and what you're feeling. Hmm. Interesting. Cause I'm, I'm kind of my sort of aspiration is getting to a place where I don't have the desire to complain about people, you know, because um, I, I, my sort of, I guess, sensibility, maybe some of my education states that like complaining suggests you don't see the good in people. And it suggests that you're not, in an empowered place, you know, you're just thrashing. And, sure. um, but, but, um, 
but you're speaking of it as kind of like part of a process to get to that place where you are once again, maybe more empowered, so to speak. And it's fine to say, you know, that's, that can be a stop along the way sometimes if it really has to happen. Yeah. I mean, because there's, there's no, to me, there's no um, reason why not being happy with a thing that a person is doing says anything about who they are as a person. There are plenty of times I get, you know, angry and frustrated, need to complain about, you know, my grandmother for existence who, who raised me, um, and who I love, um, you know, but sometimes, um, our, you know, our boundaries collide and, Mm -hmm. and out of, because, because I love and respect her, you know, in a, in a, in a non-personal example, because you know, or, you know, like believe that that person is a good person, you don't want to force them to engage in a way that is going to maybe escalate a situation or whatnot, but your emotion is still valid, right? Right. You still feel like your boundaries being crossed if it's, you know, anger or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there is, um, yeah. So to be able to kind of, um, separate those two things out, they, they both can be true, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, you, I can, both absolutely adore somebody and believe they are one of the best human beings, but also feel um, uncomfortable emotions because of things they said or did. Honestly, I feel like every restaurant should just have like someone on staff like you that can help them with yes. all this maelstrom <laughs> that they're in all the time. You know, it's hard. Be- it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's you know, yeah. I mean, you find ways to work with it, but. Um, it would be great. I mean, eventually, I, you know, I hope that we are, um, you know, in all of the workplaces, uh, for sure. Um, as far as me, I have, I do have a course, but it's starting um, Monday. So I'm guessing, you know, by the time this is aired, that it's going to be in progress. I don't know how long your processing time is. Basically, I have a newsletter um, and I have a blog that I've started writing more frequently on. Um, so that's something if you are interested in this work, I would say you can um, visit quintessenceliving.com and um, you know join the newsletter group or just visit the website, check out the blogs. There's also a Facebook that, um, you know, there, like I said, it will be increasing as time goes on with the amount of stuff available. Um, and I'll be um, in the newsletter and on the website and on Facebook, I will be advertising when I have different offerings. I'm going to be developing kind of some groupings of um, consultations and like a training consultation combination thing. So more stuff's in the works. It's just not um, out there yet. Um, in general, uh, the Emotion Dynamics website has lots of information about um, courses that all my colleagues and I teach. Um, Emotional flow is coming up here in July. Uh, Emotional genius will be coming up, I think, in the fall. Um, And those are eight-week and six-week courses, respectively, online. Um, One of them is just forums uh, where we can answer questions and there's curriculum to read. The other has um, also a live um, meeting component, an online um, video meeting, so uh, that's better for some people. Um, and Carla, Carla's website is a, has a wealth of information, um, both her YouTube channel and her personal website. There's, you know, just countless blogs and all of the different emotions and, and empathic skills. You can take a, a quiz to see your level of empathy. Um, and her YouTube channel has, um, you know, walks through all of the, um, 
empathic mindfulness practices and as well as she has um, a video for each emotion so um, lots of opportunities to learn more and um, it is something that just keeps going the more it's not you're never fully done with this work it's like there you just learn more and more nuanced ways of working with emotions and empathy and it just makes things that much better and richer yeah definitely yeah and i, I encourage anyone to take the uh empathy quiz you'll also just start asking yourself some really interesting questions just from simply doing the quiz i scored higher than i thought actually that was kind of encouraging <laughs> cool <laughs> uh cool all right awesome well um i'll let you go now thank you so much for being on the show this was such a great conversation and so useful to everyone and hopefully um shifted a lot of their perceptions about emotions and and their value in our lives so thank you again sherry appreciate yeah it. thank you Stefan. this is great it's, i obviously could talk about this stuff for hours and hours so i really appreciate um you know the opportunity to share this work it's some, i really do find it extremely helpful for me and in and everyone i've seen who's learned it it's just made such big differences in their lives and um and uh, I hope people reach out if they feel like it might work for them. Awesome. Yeah, I hope they uh, contact you. And I, I do wish you uh, the best in being an agent of uh, this great work. Thank you for listening to the Serve Conscious podcast. This is Stefan. Check out the website www.serveconscious.com for more content, always free. And my Instagram handle, I'll put a link to that, for Mindful Ninja Moves. One minute mindful principles with maximum applicability to any situation, especially difficult and challenging ones. And if you like this stuff, please leave a review on iTunes. It will mean a lot to me and bring more exposure of this project to the world. All right. Have a great day. Thank you.